Welcome to the Mr. Vincent Podcast. I'm your host, Emmanuel Vincent, and wrestling fans, I got another one for y'all. As this Sunday, the 22nd, November, will be 30 years to the exact date that The Undertaker made his debut at the 1990 Survivor Series, and this Sunday will actually be Survivor Series, and Undertaker is expected to give his final uh, farewell, calling it a career. So I thought, being the wrestling fan that I am, it's only right that I did a podcast, you know, saluting the dead man. Um, and the as he had his crazy impact on the on the business and one of the best careers of all time, no debating that. So I reached out to my homie, also was a big wrestling fan, Alan, to do this pod. Um, we just basically talked about Undertaker's duration, um, his influence on the business, some of his greatest matches, greatest moments, and also discussed whether or not the infamous streak should have ended his WrestleMania streak. All that and more on Taker. So let's get into it right now. Here it is. It's the Mr. Vincent Podcast, episode 70. Tap in. Are you excited about uh, Survivor Series Sunday? Um, I mean, it's, out, out of the big four, uh, I think Survivor Series is usually my favorite, um, just because of especially the last couple of years, the buildup that they've been able to do um, to like the, the men's and the women's matches. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm very interested to see how they're going to present like Taker's 30th anniversary. Like, is he going to come out, cut a promo? Is somebody going to interrupt him? Like, you know, is that going to lead to mania? Like, I think there's a lot of, like, open-ended questions. Yeah, definitely. Like, I want to see how they're going to, how it's going to unfold on Sunday. But it's crazy that it's actually Sunday marks 30 years to the date that he first arrived in WWE. Well, on a a televised event, because I know he did, like, some dark matches. But his first actual um, TV appearance was Survivor Series 1990 when Ted DiBiase first introduced him as the mystery person on his team. Yep. You know what? It was kind of ill because um, prior to that, like WWF characters were more like animated, more colorful, vibrant. So when Undertaker came out and you see the crowd's reaction, it was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like grown man. He literally looked like a dead man. Yeah, grown men were pretty like terrified at the sight of of Undertaker. Yeah. I I, I said just watching the match uh, like the other day, watching the match. The Survivor Series match, and like everybody's face was like, "What the heck?" Like, you hey, the makeup on to make his eye like the area in the eyes dark, darker. It looked crazy. Yeah, I mean, he looked he looked like a mortician, like basically, uh, and just compared to like his size compared to everyone else in that match, uh, it's just this like towering force. Yeah, and I, I didn't. I so in my mind, I. I guess like a false memory. I thought he had eliminated everyone on the other team, but he actually got eliminated uh, by disqualification yeah. in that match. Yeah, going at the, going at the um, Dusty, the American right. Dream. Right. So you can't remember your, the first time you saw Undertaker, can you? I mean, it's a long. He was really, really young. Oh, man, I think it would have had to have been around 91, maybe, like when he – first started feuding with Hogan for the title, Hogan? but I, uh, 
a lot of my, my distinct memories of Taker are like early Attitude Era. Um, yeah. I would say that. Well, are you saying early Attitude Era or more? What's that era that's right before Attitude Era? I, I don't know the name of that era. Um, so, New Generation. Uh, yes. Basically, what it's called. So, like, after uh, Hogan left and Savage had left and uh, um, like Holland Nash, um, WWF at the time needed to replenish their roster. Um, so, that was dubbed the New Generation. And, um, like, uh, Bret Hart started being more of a uh, focus in the main event scene and Shawn Michaels and uh, Undertaker at one point was WWF champion. Um, but it was like uh, financially and ratings wise, like a low point for the for WWF at that time uh, when Taker had the belt. Well, yeah, see, I, I feel like Taker's a hard guy to, to market like for a champion because he doesn't really say much. You know, but people love him, but it's kind of hard to market him as a champion. And that and that era, so that era that you're talking about, that that came about because of like the whole steroid scandal with right, Hogan, right. Um, you know, taking a stand on on going against Vince McMahon in court, and then they wanted to get away from that, and they definitely started marketing guys like the smaller guys, like the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, you know, to put them in the title picture to help kind of remove that that image. Right, right. And um, Undertaker is, you know, a huge guy, but you know, not in the category of uh, like Vince's favored bodybuilders at that time, like Alex Luger or someone like that. Um, yep. You know, Taker, he had the height, he had the size, but he could still move around pretty, pretty gracefully in the ring for someone his size. I've always said, and I still think to the day, he's the best big, he's the most athletic big man ever. I, we haven't even seen anybody like him since him. Like him being able to tight rope walk is crazy. Right. That that clothesline, that 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 diving clothesline he does is like who else could do that at his size? And that and need that and be that mobile. I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there aren't a really really a lot of agile big men um, in wrestling uh, since the Undertaker and and after him. You really haven't seen someone fill in that role. Um, someone who can go in there with another monster and have like a good physical fight, but then uh, Taker could also go in there with a smaller guy, make that make that guy look good, and still have like a compelling match. So he was very very versatile. Yeah, and a lot and a lot and a lot of bigs that you can't do that. Funny you said that. Um, I was watching uh, you, you watch the show on the network bumps. Is that what it's called? Oh, the bump. Yeah, and they had um, Taker on it recently. He was saying his best matches he always felt was like against smaller guys like uh, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, oh, did they say Eddie Guerrero? We definitely said Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels. He felt like that th those guys gave him his best matches. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had excellent matches with all those guys. And I, and I, and I think I agree with that because I want to talk to you about that soon. Like, what are your favorite matches? Like, And I most of my favorite matches are with smaller individuals that Undertaker's face. Um. Yeah, so uh, a favorite match of mine is not really a match that gets brought up a lot when you talk about uh, the history of The Undertaker, um, but still a very important match when you look at sort of 
uh, what his role is in, in WWE. And that's um, uh, the latter match he had on Raw with uh, Jeff Hardy uh, for the Undisputed Championship in 2002. Um, you said Jeff, you said Jeff, Jeff Hardy? Hardy? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Jeff Hardy challenged Taker for a ladder match. And um, they, they just have like a very, very brutal match um, uh, where Undertaker is, is taking over for the most part. And uh, Jeff is getting a lot of his like aerial and high dive spots in. Um, but what really, what really made that match significant was, uh, it was, it was a way to, uh, build up Jeff Hardy in the eyes of the audience. So even though like Hardy eventually lost, um, he ended up getting a lot of respect from Taker. And I think eventually, um, that match, um, Made, made Jeff Hardy more credible to eventually be uh, WWE champion. Um, mm. So, Yeah, and I'm sure, honestly, I think that was the point when I stopped watching wrestling because that was my high school years, like either my freshman or my sophomore year in high school. So I wasn't really watching wrestling like that. I faded away because that sounded like, cause that, sounded like that, that was the ruthless aggression yeah, era. Yeah, that was the ruthless aggression era around that time. Yeah, and, and, I, and I really... Honestly, for the most part, missed that whole era. But I gotta specific I found that on YouTube or even the network because that sounds like that could be that, that would be a dope match. I mean, you, you're saying it, and I should watch it because I think it, it, it would be. I mean, it's it's yep. So uh, WWE posted the match in its entirety on YouTube. Okay, um, and it's just really great melding of styles between uh, uh, Jeff Hardy and Undertaker. It was actually, um, I think, Undertaker's. Either his, it was his first ladder match, and it, it could be his the only ladder match he's ever participated in. I think. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take a look at that. You talk about matches, like it's crazy how like Undertaker's character, the character of the Undertaker, has led to like various type of matches yep. being yep. invented. Casket match, body yep. bag. We got buried alive. We got Hell in a Cell, which is his own pay-per-view now. Like, that's really, like, significant that that. And he was actually, too, on the bump, too, he was talking, he said, he said that, he was talking about the casket match and how that was, like, so, like, vital to his career and development of his character going forward. Because he's, like, the all casket matches have involved The Undertaker. We haven't seen a casket match without The Undertaker yet. Yep, yep. And at the time, it was so innovative, too, because most, like, matches were, like, were, there, there were cage matches, but there's nothing like that where you put somebody in a, in a casket and then lock it shut. Yeah, I mean, nothing like that had even been done before, even at a, um, like the territory level, you know, which is very, very innovative. Thanks. I'm, I'm not sure. So you got any other favorite Undertaker matches? Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So... Uh, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar have had pretty storied rivalry, you know, but I think, I think yep. one match that sort of gets lost is um, their, I believe their first Hell in a Cell match. Um, I think it was, I want to say No Way Out uh, 2003. Um, and they they just go out there and have like a uh, basically a horrifyingly brutal match. Um, 
Taker has his uh, hand broken in the storyline. He had his hand broken, so he's wearing a cast. Um, Brock focuses on, on his hand a lot during that match. Um, and there's a lot of blood, a lot of blood, um, a lot of pretty reckless spots that they both do. And um, usually, so when I, when I am evaluating a match, whatever kind of match it is, like I always try to consider like what feelings are being evoked from the match happening. And um, I mean, with that match, it's just a lot of discomfort, a lot of discomfort. And uh, at that point, Undertaker was like maybe 14 years deep into his WWE career. So uh, the fact that he was still physically putting his body on the line like that. Um, and then, you know, putting somebody over like Brock Lesnar, I think uh, Taker was very instrumental in the, the rise of Brock Lesnar and also like giving Brock credibility as well. And um, you can kind of say that, that maybe aside from Kurt Angle, The Undertaker is uh, Brock's biggest uh, rival yeah no, no you're absolutely right yeah it's, it's, it's those two can't think of anybody else who who I put in that category as a rivalry for Brock yeah I mean Undertaker's been sort of the, the perfect foil for Brock ever since he uh, Brock debuted and um, uh, also contrasting styles like Brock has that, that amateur wrestling background you know he's uh, seen as being like legit incredible and uh, Taker, he's, he's, especially later on in his career, uh, the striking that he incorporated in his, uh, his arsenal, you know. Best pure yep. striker ever yep. in wrestling. I, 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 I put him against anybody. Like, nobody's better at striker than Undertaker. Now, I want to watch that match, too, with Brock Lesnar that you're talking about. Because, again, I wasn't watching wrestling that much back then, so I'm sure I missed that. But I'm pretty sure he was doing more than just German suplexes in an F5. Oh, yeah, this was, yeah, That's all he did. That was before uh, Brock started uh, spamming the F5s and the Germans. Uh, so they, yeah. they, they had a pretty good match. Really, really good match. And... Um, it's not, it's not necessarily talked about in terms of even the greatest Hell in a Cell matches or significant Hell in a Cell matches. Um, mm -hmm. But especially post-2000 Undertaker, um, definitely, I would say that's one of, one of his best that he's done. Okay. Well, for me, my favorite Undertaker match, I got to go with Bad Blood. Okay. The first Hell in a Cell match at the, at the Bad Blood pay-per-view, him and Shawn Michaels. That is a classic. I watched it about two weeks ago, or maybe last weekend I was watching that. No, I watched it last weekend. I was up like at 3 o'clock in the morning, bored. So I just decided to watch some Undertaker matches. And I watched, that was the first match I watched. And somebody in the comments said, see, kids, this is a real Hell in a Cell match. Yo, times have really changed since then to now. Like, Hell in a Cell matches are good. Can't, can't knock it right now. But that was, that was like, real intense and real, like, you know, graphic with Shawn Michaels is, like, bleeding yeah. a lot. It, it was a classic. I mean, even, even though Kane, I got – Kind of messed up. Well, it lets the the world see and came for the first time. He comes in, gets Undertaker this tombstone, and then puts Shawn Michaels, covers Shawn Michaels on him to, you know, uh, to win the match. It's still a classic to me. So I, I go with that one. 
and again, the contrasting styles with Shawn Michaels being small, take it being a big guy, but still athletic right. at the same time, to make it look realistic, to, to 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 you know give the illusion of a real like contest is important to me. So I, I give that. That's my first favorite match. My favorite match. Another one. I gotta go with WrestleMania twenty. Uh, I believe it's twenty five, oh, right? Yeah. Shawn Michaels and Undertaker. They fought in twenty five and twenty six. See, I can easily go twenty six because they you know career versus streak storyline. But I'm gonna go with twenty five only because that was the first time that Undertaker ended up beating Shawn Michaels, and the other two times were due to interference from Kane. Because again, bad blood, and then we had that casket match right. at the Royal Rumble that he interfered with, and that match was was crazy. Um, WrestleMania twenty five. You know what? I was really watching watching the back. Well, Undertaker dove when he when he like jumped on the out the ring and pulled the cameraman in front of him. The angle that he landed at is like, yo, that looked really really scary at first. Like, yo, is, yeah. is he okay? Well, um, that, he that cameraman uh, would eventually be uh, a member of the SmackDown roster in 2006. I don't I don't know if you remember Deuce and Domino. They were this like really like lame uh, tag team in like the mid 2000s on SmackDown, and their gimmick was uh, they were greasers. So one of those guys. Um, I think it was uh, Jimmy Snooker's son uh, was the cameraman for that spot. Yeah. Really? Um, so, uh, yeah, I was that, that match. I think, like, uh, looking at Sean and Taker's careers at that point, um, Sean had just come back a few years after uh, retiring um, and Taker had just gotten back to the dead man gimmick. Uh, so it's like mm. basically the two elder statesmen of WWE uh, still proving that they can they can go at like a high level. Exactly, because at that point, WrestleMania 25, neither were in their primes. They were like starting to like come out of their primes, but still competitive enough had enough juice to give a, a great match what they what they did with that but even though even though they weren't still in their athletic prime they was they still has they had so much knowledge of mm-hmm. how to perform that they put on a great show regardless yeah and to the point where you know the fans like everybody wanted to see that rematch the following year you know mm-hmm. and um I mean just they, they delivered just as well the second time. Facts. Now I'm not sure if I if I have a third favorite Undertaker match. I'm, I'm thinking hard about it. Uh, let me ask you this question though: Do you think that when people talk about the greatest Undertaker matches, that Hell in a Cell '98 should be brought up? Here's, here's my thing about it though: I think people think that it's a great. They they, they like the fact of like what happened right. to Foley, right? He gets thrown off a ring. I mean, he gets thrown off a cage, gets put in a stretcher, comes back from the stretcher, climbs to, back to the top to fight with Undertaker. Undertaker chokeslams him, and nobody thought that he would have, like, fell through the cage and fall straight on his back, and the chair hit his face. My thing is, like, all this happened yeah, before the no, bell no, actually no. rang. So, so how could it be I a mean, great I, match? It's, it's not one of his Undertaker's greatest matches. I think, um, I yeah. think it would be hard for anyone to say that. It's significant um, because of, basically, uh, Mick Foley's performance in that match. You know? Um, 
Exactly. Like, like Taker just doesn't benefit from that moment. Fully does. Because when I remember correctly, Vince never had the, Vince never had any like thoughts of making Foley a champion because it didn't fit the mold of what Vince believes to be it to represent right, yeah. the company, right? But after that night, if he's willing to do that, you gotta you gotta cut him some slack, man, and just like you know, put put him in that position to get the title. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that match made McFoley more than it made Taker. Uh, if oh, anything, it, it like established uh, Undertaker as sort of like this uh, ruthless character, um, which a couple years prior to that match, he was sort of getting away from, um, like as a baby face. Um, so that match is significant for what it did for, for Mick's career. Um, and, you know, the whole story behind that about like, he wasn't supposed to go through the top of the cell. Um, like that wasn't planned, you know, and the tooth coming out of his, his uh, nose. Um, but I honestly, like, I, I think the fact that WWE is still uh, making pay-per-views of hell in a cell is sort of uh, distilling the history of hell in a cell. Um, you know, it's not. It's not the same. It's not like this. This uh, blood feud kind of ending uh, a, a, a long term storyline. It's more like, okay, it's November. We're gonna do this pay per view, and um, there really is no no like real significance behind it anymore. Ah, uh, exactly. oversaturated. I, I I agree with you. No, I agree. Cause like, it was it was more spontaneous back then, and, and when you seen the Hell in a Cell match, you knew what you was gonna get in the Hell in a Cell match. I mean, outside of that one that um, Taker had at WrestleMania, was it fifteen he had, or was it sixteen with the Big Boss? Man? Yeah, that, that was, was garbage. That was that was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That might be his worst match ever. I never, I didn't think about what I think of the worst Undertaker match, but that might be the worst I mean, match ever. Uh, he's he's had some bad matches. Um. But, but if I if I remember correctly too, I, I think even the crowd was booing, booing at that at that match at WrestleMania. 15. Well, yeah, I mean, I think like uh, the way that they set that up with Undertaker hanging Boss Man uh, from the top of the cell. Oh. There were, I think, people in the audience and at home who might have, in the back of their minds, felt like what was happening was real. You know. Um, and it was kind of, it was sort of uh, anticlimactic for the match to end like that. Um, and then mm-hmm. Boss Man, especially at that his at that point in his career, um, should not have been in a match with Taker. They were not on the same Yeah, Undertaker yeah. deserved better than that. Because Boston, Boston was, was washed right. up. Taker's not. What? Well, what? Um, there, there, there had to be something that happened, or maybe he got put in the match last minute, kind of similar to what he did with um, I, I believe it was seventeen with with Rick, or was it eighteen? No, it was eighteen with Rick Flair. That was like a last minute put together. From what yeah, I remember, I, know that, I remember hearing I know that that wasn't uh, pre-planned. I believe he, he I, I believe he talked about it in the uh, the last Rod documentary. I believe so. Um, do you know who he was like originally supposed to face that WrestleMania? 
Well, I think I think from what I remember hearing, he didn't have anybody to face, and they threw that thing at the last minute. Him versus Flair. So I didn't think he had anybody to face. I don't know, and I can't remember if he was like coming back from an injury at that point too. Can't remember because because I, I don't think that since Taker's been since Taker has been around in the in WWF WWE whatever, he's only missed two WrestleManias, maybe three now. Ah, uh, let's see. So what, what was the last one he missed? He missed the one he missed. I know he missed yep, two thousand. Yep. that was the fatal four way main event. At WrestleMania ten, he missed. I'm pretty sure rest ten, ten was he missed that. It was ten, two thousand, and he missed the one that that, that happened recently, not this past one, but at the, well, I believe the one the year before. I so thirty five, he missed. I think the, I think that's the only three he yeah. missed. Since big, um, what do you think about the decision in in twenty fifteen uh, that WrestleMania against Brock to to end the streak? All right, the podcast will resume shortly, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. All right, we're just about ready to get back to this pod. Just want to let you guys know in advance, um, there were some technical issues um, towards the end of this podcast, so I do apologize about that, but let's get back into it. Undertaker, farewell. Yo, think about it. I think it was trash. Now, I, and I, I know that you know the whole in the business, especially Undertaker, is big on this of you know right. uh, paying it forward, putting the next man over the top. But he brought a, he brought up a good point. I don't know if you saw this, this piece on WWE on the, on the network rather um, to sit down with him and Glenn no, Jacobs, well, you know Kane. Um, so they had a piece. Um, they have a, they have a I don't know what do you want to call it an interview. They both sitting down conversation. Talking about their whole story, um, you know the story of Kane and Undertaker, which is really really dope. And he asked Undertaker like, "How do you feel about the streak ending?" I believe Undertaker said that he didn't even know the streak was going to end until they got to the arena. And he also made a good point: is like, yeah, he wasn't. He usually doesn't put people over, but Brock didn't need that for his career. Now, if it was something like Roman Reigns, who who they were really some who they, they were trying to push and trying to get more notoriety, that would have made more sense than a Brock Lesnar who was already established. Um. I, I can kind of I can kind of see that point. Um, so, if you remember at that time, like Brock had just come back to the WWE for a couple of years, but he wasn't he wasn't yep. hot. Like he had just come off a feud of Triple H um, that had like no heat, and he had lost that feud, um, and he was just sort of kind of languishing uh, before. Um, that match with Taker at WrestleMania. And uh, I think that long-term, if you look at the booking that WWE did after that match, it was uh, a good thing for Brock to be the one to end that streak. Uh, Okay. I'm I'm curious to hear why you think that, because here's my thing. On top of that, Brock is a part-time wrestler. Like he went out to be a champion, right? But, but like, but he was barely on TV. For like, for like, a year, for like a year, he would be a part of like what four or five appearances. How the hell are you gonna have a champion? <laughs> but he's barely on TV, so it, it kind of like dilutes the title, in a sense, to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. It's like uh, 
Brock, he, that that contract he signed, he was just, he was barely there the last couple of years when he was champion. Um, but they were able to use that win that Brock had over Taker to establish him even further. So, so um, that is true. You know, he was main eventing like SummerSlam, WrestleMania, like all the all the main the big four pay per views, um, and then also because of that credibility that Brock built on that win, he was able to, Brock was able to put other people over. Like he put uh, Seth Rollins over at Mania. He, last year he put Drew McIntyre over. Um, using, and that's one thing I really appreciate about Taker's career is sort of how he, um, what was willing to put himself over, I mean, was willing to put others over uh, for the the good of the company, um, and then even work with work with yeah. guys who honestly had no business being in the ring with him. You know, he worked with the great Kali and Heidenreich, and you know, Giant Gonzalez, like these these guys that had no in ring ability. You know. Um, Exactly. Yeah, Take your help, put them over, or at least, at least he tried to. Exactly. Yeah. Like Taker seems like honestly, like he's like like the almost utmost like professional person in wrestling. And even during that era, that that Monday Night War era, he probably, he probably could have jump shipped. I'm not sure if Ted Turner ever threw him any money and Bishop tried to lure him to WCW, but I think that's feasible that that, that happened. And Taker was going to be loyal throughout the whole way. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if. if- Undertaker at that time would even take a phone call from Eric Bischoff or Ted Turner. Like he was very like uh, firmly uh, by Vince's side, even when all the other top stars were were jumping to WCW for um, you know better contracts, um, less appearances, uh, creative control. So Undertaker through the the lowest points of the WWF, which you could argue. Uh, is between like ninety five to ninety seven, the new generation. Like he he stuck around. Mm-hmm. He stuck around, and uh, I don't I don't know if the gimmick that that the dead man gimmick would have fit for WCW at that time because they were so yeah they were so cutting edges. Yeah, it's it more like reality based, so that might not have worked. Well, let me ask you, now that you bring that up, that dead man gimmick, do you think that that we needed to see the American badass, you know, have him like, you know, stepping away from that mystery of darkness, dead man phase, and then, you know, like like showing more of his real real life personality on air. Do you think that, that we needed to see that? Because he was talking too on the um the sit down with Kane and that he thinks that if he if he didn't like make that transition, like his character would have died. I don't believe, I don't, I'm not sure if I believe that necessarily, that he had to be like the American badass coming down with the motorcycle um, to Chris Rock's rolling, rolling, rolling. I'm not sure. Kid Rock. <laughs> oh, Kid Rock. Yeah, that's cool. My um, fault. <laughs> yeah, Kid Rock, Chris Rock. Um, yeah, I think like, uh, I do wonder if that dead man gimmick would have continued um, throughout those the early 2000s, like, would the fans still have been uh, like by Undertaker's side? 
Um, mm -hmm. So at that time, especially with the, the Attitude Era, it was sort of becoming more reality-based. Like you had guys like Stone Cold who basically was himself turned up to 11, you know, and The Rock and DX and stuff. And um, that, that uh, the Dead Man gimmick, the Mortician gimmick, the Ministry of Darkness, I think mm -hmm. uh, at that time was sort of losing it. Cause the, so that gimmick could could have only gone so high up with ceiling because I don't know if you if you remember this but like Ministry of Darkest Undertaker like he was sacrificing people you know like oh yeah I remember that yeah he did, did, didn't he put Stone Cold on the cross yeah. <laughs> and um, was gonna marry <laughs> Stephanie he put Stephanie on the cross and Stone Cold had to save her so that gimmick was sort of reaching its like nadir of like how far we can go with this. And I think um, American Badass mm -hmm. was, uh, it was just pretty relevant at that time. Um, I feel I feel like it was relevant, but I feel like that should have like happened a year or two early. Cause I believe it was 2000 when they, yeah. he made that transition to the American Badass. So maybe 98. 99 like when the war was really like intense between wcw and wwf at the time um by that i think by, by then when he came became the american it badass yeah, it, it was, was essentially over yeah yeah um i don't know i, I know a lot of fan, fans are split on that that era of the undertaker of like um you know was it good and it's it's funny because like for years um after after taker went back mm -hmm. to being the dead man gimmick WWE would not acknowledge that American badass gimmick. It's not until recently um, they've started to like revisit that history. Um, but I, I would say the American badass gimmick led into um, one of my favorite gimmicks of The Undertaker, which was the Big Evil era. Yeah. The Big Evil. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, essentially, the cross exactly. between the American yeah. Badass and the Dead Man. So he still came down to the ring, the motorcycle, um, but there was like this really, really like uh, brutal edge to Taker um, that there really there hadn't been years prior. So like um, when he was the WrestleMania with Flair was during sort of the Big Evil era. Um, he held the hardcore championship yep. at that time. Uh, he was doing hardcore matches. He was just like real sadistic, real sadistic character. Okay, yeah. The big, evil, the big, evil, interesting. My, my favorite one, my favorite Resident Undertaker might be the, the original guy. man, the mortician. Like the, the, the way he can't like eat eat you could feel his presence without him saying anything. And then Paul Bear to be beside him was like a great like balance between, you know, a high pitched voice holding up the urn, like an Undertaker just like, you know, but drawing like looking like he's drawing power from the urn. And the and the vignettes were crazy. Like the one where he had um, made a, yeah. a cat for Kamala, that was dope. Like I, I wanna know like how much time probably they put into lot, that. Probably a lot of Yeah, they had to. 
uh, the, the makeup and then the, the scenes had probably had to be done over and over again. But like, I thought it was like a great balance. I think I think Paul Bear is a essential piece to the success of the Undertaker. Well, at least the foundation certainly was helped propel him to heights as he you know as time yeah, went I mean, on. I, I consider Paul Bear to be, um, if not one of the greatest managers of his generation probably one of the greatest managers of all time um you know they, they worked so well together like that that dynamic, you know oh it's crazy um and yeah paul Barrett, he just he had that character down um and whether whether or not undertaker was a baby face or a heel uh paul bearer uh did a lot for for that character facts yeah man and I, I, I believe paul bear worked at a funeral home like he has like i think that's why they're like you know they brought that idea to him i believe that's why they did but i know he did work in a funeral home um so he had some experience so yeah, i think that helped a lot probably. too with his character Absolutely. with the character yeah. development um too also too so i mentioned earlier and uh, about the um the sit down with canon undertaker like it's crazy how like the the, the character of Undertaker and then Mark Calloway, like, nailing that essentially, essentially to perfection helped Kane, Glenn Jacobs, like, reach new heights in his career as a wrestler. Because without no the Undertaker way. character, there is no Kane. Remember before he used to be fake yeah. Diesel and Isaac Yankum DDS? Like, like, like people forget about that. But he actually were, were two characters prior in WWF. Um, Kane was. So to, to have to be involved in a storyline where Undertaker burned down the funeral home and people thought that his parents were dead along with his brother but it turned out his brother was actually alive and people were just like what where's his brother at where's his brother at and then bad blood paul bear comes down there with kane he tears down that tears down the door the cage door then again tombstone undertaker and that led to like a a, a dope like storyline within the wwe something uh, that you'll probably never see again honestly yeah a storyline that can go for that long like i feel like people Whenever, like, even as time, like, progressed, whenever they came back to The Undertaker and Kane being involved in a storyline, it was always referenced that these are siblings. Yeah, I mean, like, that that storyline, um, even to this day, is still part of, like, the WWE mythos. Um, and, I mean, the buildup after Kane's debut in Bad Blood, you know, Undertaker refusing to fight his brother, refusing to fight him every single time, you know, like that, that storyline, that story um, writing was just impeccable, impeccable. And it, it built Kane um, until, until his own character with his own mythology and that character evolved over the years, um, you know, not always in a great direction, um, but Undertaker and Kane um, were, were very like intertwined throughout their entire careers. And uh, mm -hmm. Undertaker helped make Kane also a very, a very compelling character um, in WWF. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that speaks volumes to, to Taker and like and his, his character. The fact that it was able to help build another character and help him sustain, like, oh, 
will help him reach a new height because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Kane's going to be in the Hall of Fame Absolutely. one day. Yeah. Whenever, one day. And that would never, um, that would never, that most likely wouldn't have happened without the success of the Undertaker. Are there any, and any, any like some of your favorite uh, moments with Undertaker? So favorite, so uh, one of my favorite moments with Undertaker is a promo that he did in um, 1999 with The Big Show, and a lot of people will say that it's like one of Taker's worst promos. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, where he talks about, um, uh, so at that time, Big Show is sort of his uh, apprentice, and they're they're teaming together and stuff. So Taker cuts a promo and talks about how uh, he, him and Big Show on uh, on a motorcycle, he, he brings Big Show in the middle of a desert and uh, leaves him there, you know? And uh, it's just this really sort of, long-winded uh convoluted um promo but it's uh it's actually mm-hmm. really good if you watch it you know um so that's one of my favorite moments and i think uh, those matches with sean at wrestlemania i mean the fact that he was able to to go at that high of a level that deep into his career um, and even the storytelling within those matches, uh, I mean, could be argued though those are like top two matches in WrestleMania history. Oh, easily, you, you can you can argue that for sure. And there's been a lot of matches, so that that, that so that says a lot about that those about those two performances. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, so one moment that sticks out to me. Um, superstars. I believe it was '91, the, the um superstar show, when he put on the, he put, put the uh, warrior in the casket. When he came out of the casket, yeah. when he, I, I believe it was um Paul Bear's show. Do you remember the name of the show? Paul the Bear Parlor or, or, or something shit like that. Show. It might have been the Paul Bear show. I was actually watching that earlier today. I, it was just funny, like. You know, like, well, Warriors just you know grabbing up Paul Bear and Paul Paul Bear just like warning about the Undertaker. Casket opens mass slow. Undertaker comes out, starts beating him up, hitting him with the urn and a couple of times in the head, shove him in the casket. Undertaker, um, Warriors resisted, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. Finally, they get the shut and they crank that crank it shut. I, I, I remember that as a kid, like seeing that, like I was mad scared, like oh Undertaker, Undertaker <laughs> Warriors, Warriors probably dead. I was mad scared as a kid. I, I remember watching that live. That's crazy. Yeah, was so that seeing that was, was dope. Another dope shot. Warrior was like bleeding from his eyes or something. Like, hmm. uh, I think it was around the same time. He and was what match? With the Undertaker. What was this? I remember that as a kid, and that that scared the crap okay. out of me. You see, that's crazy. Like the fact that this guy has like. Bit and feuds with the likes of Hogan, Warrior, to Sean, Brett, to Austin, Rock, Triple H, to Batista, Lesnar. Like, yeah, that that's and, and then there's more too. Like that's yeah, crazy. That's like how many generations like, he's, yeah, he's like, been in. Not only has he been in all those generations, but he was a significant part of all of them. You know. 
And yeah, like it's pretty amazing. Like his first WrestleMania match was against uh, Superfly Snooker. Yeah, so Snooker like, at seven. That's insane. And then, <laughs> and then we're just I'm about to be at WrestleMania thirty six. Right, exactly. And people exactly. still talk about the Undertaker to this day. Um, Probably 37 coming up next year. And another dope shot for me, memory, is seeing him in the Inferno match against Kane. And then Vader comes out and attacks Kane when outside the ring. Undertaker flies over the ropes when the flame jumps up and he lands on them both. That was that's fire to me. Like that scene, yeah, that, that shot is dope. Amazing spot. Uh when you think about it, how that has to be perfectly timed. You know. How do you feel about the Inferno matches? You think, think it was like, think it was dope, corny. I'm not too crazy about the match itself. So, like, like the so I never liked any Inferno matches because, um, to me, it was very obvious that, like, so the first time, like, it was very obvious to me that Kane was gonna lose just because of like Kane's gear at that time, you know. Um, what he wears. He had the mask and he had like both of his um like both sleeves on and it's like okay like Kane's gonna lose this match. <laughs> you know like no one's gonna get burned alive. And <laughs> I, I think oh, the build up for Inferno matches um was always better. Do do you remember in um WWF Attitude um like you could do an Inferno match? Yeah, the video game. Yeah, the video game. Oh, the video game you're talking about. You wait, you said, wait, you said you could do an Inferno match? Inferno match. I think it was either Attitude okay. or Warzone. Okay, see, I, see, I didn't rock with okay. those video games like that. I only rocked with the, with the okay, TH2 yeah, games. Yeah. So that's like, why I don't, uh, I can't remember. WrestleMania 2000 and Revenge and... Yeah, like Revenge 2000. Um, World Tour, WWE, NWO World Tour. Yeah, those are the only games I played. That, that video game that I played um, for wrestling. Uh, wait, come on. So how was that? How was that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> it wasn't good. It's just, just like in real life. It wasn't good. It was more of like the idea <laughs> of an Inferno matches is more appealing than uh, the actual execution. But um, I mean, that's another a match that Undertaker helped make. Um, and I think they've done it. They've done it a few times since um, Bray Wyatt when he debuted in 2012. He had a uh, Inferno match with Kane. Um, yeah, he did. He did. And really, of course, he did. Kane lost. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Kane, he be catching the hell in Inferno matches. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the only Undertaker I thought Undertaker was involved uh, in every Inferno like, match. Everyone except for the one a few years ago with, with Bray Wyatt and, and Kane. No. Do you consider the Boiler Room Brawl an official match, like an official Undertaker match, like based off his character? I see. I, I don't think I don't think that falls into the category. Yeah, me too. Because a lot of because I, I don't know if you seen that poll on W and um on the website WWE.com about the greatest Undertaker matches and they and they were, the way they kind of like come off as a boiler room the boiler room brawl rather is a match like designed based off Undertaker. I'm like I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think it's really more off like, mankind uh, than Undertaker's character used to chill in the boiler room and he would like 
He would cut promos at the boiler room, you know. Those matches, those matches yeah, those were bad, pretty though. good matches. Those are pretty good matches. I mean, like, I I don't think Mankind and Undertaker ever really had bad matches, you know. Um, uh, the first year that Mankind debuted in the WWF, like, they had a lot of physical matches. Yeah, it definitely did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So they definitely put on on, on good shows. Um. Uh, any other any other Undertaker moments for you? Yeah. Any memories? Match? Um, no moments? I think the when he got buried alive. Um like, putting an end to the American badass gimmick. Um, um, that was 2004, yep, right? Yep. That, him, that was leading up to WrestleMania 20. Right, correct. Oh, correct. 20. Okay. Um, I mean, that was cool because it, it like, yep. I think at the time the fans were, like, blindsided um, that Taker was going to be going back to the Dead Man gimmick. Um, and then also, like, that whole time in WrestleMania season, like, uh, the lights would go off, you know. Uh, Undertaker would be on the Titan Tron, like freaking Kane out, like that. That build up of like, all right, like the Dead Man is back. Um, I think it's a pretty great. Mm. Um, and then also just uh, the, his Ministry of Darkness gimmick uh, in '99 with like the Ministry and Corporate. Yeah. Corporate, corporate ministry, yeah, that, that, that was that was like a real like edgy right, exactly. Undertaker, but again, had to fit exactly. the era that was in. Um, another, another dope moment, another moment to me was, I believe this had to be a SummerSlam. Yeah, so when he was, fought Yokozuna in a, in a casket match, but then everybody, everybody interfered. Like the whole mad wrestlers came out interfered, like Diesel, Bam Bam, Jeff Jarrett. I think King Kong Bundy came out too, and they finally got him in the casket. I mean, when they brought the casket like close, like towards like the top of the entrance, whatever. You yeah. see that they, they have a, on a Titan Tron Undertaker in the casket. That I was, I was like, that yeah, was scary. Then like he was dead. Was, um, Remember that? Series ninety four was that a casket match? No, no, no. no I'm talking about, but th- th- but this had to be like SummerSlam. And then that led to Undertaker coming back in Survivor Series oh, yes, yes, to yes, fight yes, 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 Yokozuna yes. with Chuck Norris at the Enforcer. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that. I watched that today too. The, the match with Chuck, with Chuck Norris as the Enforcer. Not, not, not a bad, uh, not a bad match. Yokozuna was actually his size, man. Yeah. Pretty agile and he put on a good show. I mean, somebody that 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 like, was trusted to be yeah. WWF champion at a time where. Uh, you had to be like um, just way beyond everyone else to to have that belt, you know. So that Yokozuna—that's another big man that Undertaker, uh, you know, could go with and have great matches with. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so he's—I feel like he's forgotten a little bit in history. I mean, I know, I know his stint was relatively brief, but. He, for what he did during his time, like he, yeah, he was a great he was wrestler, a really good wrestler. And, um, I feel like you know, listening to a lot of interviews, like other wrestlers talking about Yokozuna, like he was just a great man uh, in real life and stuff, and people like loved working with him. 
Yeah, Tanky was talking talking about on, on the bump. He was talking about him too. Like that he he was he was taken from us too early. He was a great person, great a great professional, great person yeah, like behind the scenes. Is there anybody? Okay, last question. Then we're, then we're done. Is there anybody right? Any wrestler that you wish I'm saying a thought that they did it? Sting. Like that was a match. Yeah. That, um, they could have done. They could have done it like you know, post uh, WCW being bought by WWF. Um, well, but they could have. But at the same time, Sting wasn't trying to come to the. Thing wasn't trying to be um, he was trying to like just chill, but once right. the contract was up, because you know a lot of, a lot of them had guaranteed money like Justin, uh, Nash, Goldberg, Hogan, so they could just chill for like a year or two until they called up. But even so, Sting wasn't trying to rock with WWF because he always felt like they would have they would like try to water him down and then make it look like he's like less than what he is. That because he's from WCW, he'll never be greater than like a, a Triple H, right? Because he's yeah, WWF. On top of that, they probably didn't want to um, paste in that contract, um, buy out his contract. But I think, like, damn, like the fans mm-hmm. missed out on that because, like, you have these two characters, they're in two different, um, whatever, uh, organizations, but pretty parallel um, in terms of, like, their, their dark aesthetic and just the silence. Um, and the way like the crowd reacted to them, like I think, man, Undertaker versus Sting and like whatever ninety nine, two thousand, like that would have been that would have been amazing for WrestleMania. And uh, oh yeah, so it's the it classic. Was that would have been to see that WWE they finally bring in Sting. Um, I think in like two thousand fourteen. Yeah, way past his prime, but he also way past his prime. To, to Triple H at WrestleMania. So I guess I guess Sting was right um, about his character was going to be misused in WWE. Facts. I'm, another thing to talk about too, Sting and, and, and Taker. Like they're both like you, you can make an argument they were both like flagships, right. the flagship of the respected organizations. WCW, both were loyal, loyal as fuck. Um, and you said they, they, like you said, they both like have like, that dark edge to them. At least right. thing did in the mid '90s when he went to embrace like that crow-like image. Um, both great yeah, athletes, I mean, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, that, that would have been you, you, that build-up could have been crazy. Like you could have made, a, you could have like really, really. If I was, like a, a wrestling promoter, you could have really like sold that easily. Just based off those two characters, that match I mean, and hype it up. That that should have been the WrestleMania main event, like post invasion. You know, I think, I, I mean, that's what kind of made the invasion uh, such a disappointing event was that you weren't getting, yeah, you weren't getting the top guys. It didn't have the uh, biggest stars from WCW. Um, so you're just sort of getting the leftovers, and then on top of that, um, I. You couldn't you couldn't make great matchups. We we're not gonna get Undertaker versus Sting or like even Stone Cold versus Goldberg. Like it was sort of like a botched uh attempt, you know, to make something innovative. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure why they even bothered going through with the invasion, knowing that they couldn't get these top guys. 
um, because they already their contracts were guaranteed. So what was the point of even trying to attempt to do that if, if we weren't going to have the Hall and Nashes, the Flares, Goldbergs thing? I mean, yeah, DDP, he's cool. Booker T's, he's good. But they were like a tear yeah. below the other ones I just mentioned, I feel like. From, at least from a, like, um, what, what a do you fan's think perspective. What do you think of uh, with Undertaker or we can still get with Undertaker? <laughs> I don't know if I, if I can get, get a match with Undertaker anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy's like, what, in the mid-50s now? But I, I don't know. I, I was going to say Sting, but you beat me to it, so I'm not really sure who else I would say that we that we should have got like a match um, with Undertaker because he's fought in so many people before. I mean, AJ Styles, I, I, well, he fought him in WrestleMania, this happened WrestleMania, but it was a Boneyard match, which, which is actually still a, a dope match, though. Can't I mean, front. Well, they did that Boneyard, job, great. That Boneyard match was lit. Yeah, the camera angles, it was just yeah, it was dope. It was, it was a way to use Undertaker uh, without having to see him in the ring real time. Um, I don't think anybody wants to see that anymore. And... Well, see, yeah, well, so that match only happened due to the pandemic. It was probably going to be a regular match if, if COVID didn't hit. So it it probably be in our, in our best, it was probably in our, for us, better that he actually fought in that type of match as opposed to in ring. Because I always felt like The Undertaker was like, he probably should have hung it up. I feel like around WrestleMania, around around 30. Uh, so I, 30, I feel like he couldn't compete in the ring anymore. New Orleans, yeah, the streak, yeah. Uh, the streak, and right. I mean, he did have a concussion though in that match, but still, I I, I thought he was a little over the hill at that point, anyways. That his career should be over. Like I, I, I think I was saying around then he got to retire, man. It's just hard to watch. And then we had, I guess, I yep, think it was um thirty two. Was it thirty two when he lost to Roman Reigns? And then he put all his, he put the um the trench jacket, the gloves, the hat, left it in the ring. And just walked out. I'm like, oh, is he retiring? This is the weird way to retire. But then again, it is it is Taker. So it's yeah, him so like coming out and saying he's done, like, retiring when it really um, you know works. Series this Sunday. Um, I don't think that it's Undertaker's last uh, whatever appearance. Um, I just don't believe that because uh, historically, Undertaker has been that guy that if Vince needs somebody, you know a marquee guy, a part-timer, Undertaker's going to be there. And right now, WWE, they're not building uh, stars. And they, they haven't for a really long time. Uh, you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, have it. because of that, they have to rely on these part-timers to come back, uh, whatever, come back to Mania, come back to SummerSlam. Saudi Arabia, yeah, the deal that they have with um, the Saudi Saudis, Arabia, you know. So, um, I, yep. I don't think that Undertaker's gonna retire uh, until he literally physically cannot <laughs> move. I think, I think he'll, be, I think he will wrestle in twenty twenty one. Well, I mean, you know, so he did sign a deal around the time the last, the um, last ride came out. It was enough that he signed like a 15 year deal with WWE. But I was under the impression more like, okay, that's, that's just Vince taking care of Taker because Taker has been so loyal for so long. So that deal's probably going probably to consist of him like, you know, being a consultant or a mentor to the wrestlers coming up or him doing like, 
like autographs or live like personal appearances, taking pics. I mean, Undertaker could, could put that that trench coat on with the gla- with the hat and the gloves yeah. till he's like seventy years old, and to take pictures with people and get paid. Like it's Undertaker. So I don't know if I'm about to see wrestling again, man. Uh, I don't know, but did you yeah, uh, play? Did you watch the last round? I did watch the last round. I did. Remember yeah. the part remember when he fought um Goldberg? Yeah, he, he almost uh, and Goldberg he almost botched the, the um the jackhammer. Yeah, almost broke his neck. I'm like, yo, that, that, that's wild. Like he might he might really just chill I out. I don't know. Done. I think, but yesterday you don't think Undertaker's um, done, huh? I think Mark Calloway, the man, he uh, being in the ring. I think that's just he loves it too much. That's his passion. Um, you know, in the documentary, he's really beating himself up about like. How, how bad the Roman match went, how bad the Goldberg match went. I think he's a performer who's constantly uh, seeking to redeem himself and do better the next time. And I, I don't think that match with AJ um, really, yeah. I think, uh, like, scratched his itch. I, I think that I can see him and AJ um, doing a rematch in the ring because AJ is good enough. Um, to carry Taker to an okay match, right? He's- yeah, I mean, it's like it's like, it's like the guys that, that Taker likes to fight like the most, like the Rey Mysterio's, the Shawn Michaels, the small guys who are athletic and who are like like great. And you can argue right now, um, yeah, yeah, might be the best ring performer right now in wrestling. Yeah, you can argue. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, well, okay. So I'm I'm gonna keep an eye out for that. I don't know, man. It's tough. Like watching them, man. Watching that Goldberg like almost uh-huh, botched uh-huh. that jackhammer. I was like, yeah, he might have to chill out. Yeah, but well, then again, it's well, Goldberg. Goldberg you know, we already know how he does. He does that ritual while he'll he'll headbutt the door uh, coming out of his entrance. So I guess he had done that. Yep. And he concussed himself uh, before the match. So he was just from the jump. He was just oh. out of it, you know. Um, and yeah, that match was that should not have happened. <laughs> you know, there's that should not have taken place. Oh, you know, you know, match should have taken place. How about when um, also yeah. in Saudi Arabia, that was the brothers, brothers of, of destruction versus DX, garbage. You had you had uh, Triple H tear, yeah. tear his, uh, yeah. what muscle did he tear again? This pec muscle, you had you had take you had taker you had um Kane rather his mask come off with the hair. <laughs> Shawn Michaels had a baldy like yo I, I can't I can't I can't think Shawn Michaels seriously with a baldy. Shawn Michaels had a baldy. <laughs> what, what was the worst part? That was the absolute worst. I don't want to. Remember <laughs> that, like, right? More like oh okay, like I right, I like yo we're getting really really old right now because Shawn Michaels got a baldy. This is crazy. <laughs> Oh man! All right, yeah. So we'll 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 keep we'll um, yeah, tap in once the Survivor Series. You watch? Are you gonna watch the pay per view? I mean, I'm, I still watch pay per views monthly just because, uh, I, you know, there's still a lot of good talent out there, and I think I'm really interested to see like what the presentation is gonna be for Undertaker's 30th. Um, and I, I hope, honestly, I hope it leads to a program with somebody um, going to Mania. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm so out the loop right now with with wrestling right now and the storylines. Like, I usually try to like, like, like a month in advance 
before either before Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. I'll try to watch like a month in advance to lock in so I can be aware of the storyline, what's going on. But honestly, like, I can't I can't get with this for the most part because there's no fans. And these virtual fans they ain't helping me out. So my interest is kind of like lost right now in wrestling. But I'm gonna try to watch on Sunday. I don't I don't know what's going on. But hey, right? There is no, no NXT in the Survivor Series, right? So it's not on the Raw. Last year they had NXT involved, but this year, um, you know what? Yeah. Let me ask you this question because you're more tapped than I am. NXT is supposed to be essentially like what the what the D League is to the NBA. So with that being said, why do you think that they were trying to elevate this? The status, the status of the uh, NXT last year Survivor Series. I was thrown off last year. I thought it was kind of cool at the same time with Triple H like leading the yeah, way. Yeah, he does. He's the, like, um, I think he runs NXT, the right? Writer and sort of their, I guess their fans, you would say. He calls the shot. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I was just a little weird. Like, why are they elevating NXT like they're on a level with W? WWE with um, um, Raw and SmackDown? I thought it was supposed to be like a developmental. Developmental. Um, so last year they, um, so they moved from the WWE network to USA. Um, and the reason why was because they wanted, WWE wanted yep. the show to compete head to head with AEW, AEW's programming. Yeah. So, smart, um, smart move. I think the, the build up to Survivor Series, having the NXT, uh, wrestlers invade Raw and SmackDown, that was to, like, get the audience familiar with them when they would eventually go on the USA. So, before Survivor Series last year, Um, they weren't on the USA Network. It was was after, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Now that you said that, it make, now it makes perfect sense now why they would do that. I'm, I was a little confused, like, I mean, it's, it's, on? It's but I mean, great. they have pretty a lot amazing. of great talent there. Um, I mean, you have a couple of guys that have been in NXT for a really long time, and they don't want to leave. They don't want to go to Raw and SmackDown because um, of sort of the trajectory that uh, uh, Superstar's career goes post-NXT. It's just not a good um, history. So, I mean, you have some guys like Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, um, guys that they'll probably spend their entire careers in NXT. Um, and it's it sort of become not not necessarily developmental, but a legitimate third brand um, with more focus on, like, in-ring uh, competition. Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm honestly never watched the full program of, of NXT. I've caught parts yeah, of it, man, but I mean, I'm gonna tap in one day. On try to watch the whole thing. Um, men and women superstars. Uh, they they do a really good job of sort of like reloading their talent, reloading the roster after a superstar moves on to Raw and SmackDown, and um, you know, uh, Triple H, his his fingerprints are all over NXT. And uh, it could be sort of a preview of how uh, Triple H is going to run WWE. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, because I think he set up to run it once Vince. I mean, is on gone, paper, right? on my, paper, my, would be wrong. In line. Um, I mean, Stephanie has been head writer uh-huh. uh, for WWE before, but I don't think that she would be the one to take over operations. And um, Vince's son Shane has like never really expressed a interest in, in taking over the company. So, I mean, I'm not even convinced that Vince McMahon will die. I think he's an immortal being, you know? So, yeah, in the event, <laughs> in the, the possible event that he passes away, like, I think it's it's Hunter's, it's Hunter's company, you know? And the way that he has run NXT uh, the last few years, like, I, I'm pretty excited to see, like, what he can do with the... the uh, Raw and SmackDown brands. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Too see, and that's me too. Like, there's mad wrestlers now. Like, it wasn't like that when I was when I was growing up. I gotta keep up with all these guys now. You got Raw, SmackDown, NXT. It's a lot, but yeah, man. I'm, I'm gonna like, try and tap uh, in more. Definitely not as good as uh, when we were growing up at all, but yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. Like I feel like, I feel like we're spoiled. Like the Attitude Era, like wrestling will never reach that height again when it comes to like personalities combined with in-ring capabilities. We are. But we'll never I see mean, that again. Like we're spoiled. That was like that was sort of the height in the golden age of wrestling that I think uh, younger fans right now probably would not. Because we used to go to school and be like, yo, did you see Rock? Like, you know what I mean? Girls were talking about it. Like, it was it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And, um, Facts. Yeah. I can't see like kids that, doing that now. Uh, things competing for interest and attention nowadays. And the way the product is. Yeah. Yeah, like social media, like it's it's a great. So typically, we're talking about Undertaker, the most majority of this podcast. Like it's really great that his character, his character's like rise and for the majority of its progression did not occur in the social media era. There's no way that that illusion could have yeah, like I mean, worked like, with social media. He would not have been able to uh, maintain kayfabe um, as much as he did. I mean, like, I'm like this is like the first time. This is like the first year. I I think I've heard Undertaker talk more this year than I've heard throughout his like thirty year career. Like, yeah. he's talked a lot. He's been on like mad um, shows, podcasts, on just like speaking uh, about his career. Like, what the heck? Like, yeah, he was. He was on that. I was watching him on the Bill Simmons podcast from a few months ago when the last it when the last ride permitted. He was on the podcast. I, re- I re- actually rewatched it um, yesterday. Like, yeah, this is crazy. Seeing Undertaker just as a yeah, regular he's just person, a regular like... dude from, <laughs> from Texas. Like it's, yeah. Especially growing up and seeing Undertaker, uh, how like otherworldly that gimmick is. It's, it's it is kind of cool that he's now uh, opening himself up more and showing the fans like who he really is as a person. Yeah, it's, it's dope. It's like, so my thing is like, 
when he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, I think probably being the next one, or if not, right after. Like, is he gonna accept? Is he gonna accept his introduction Wait, as like Mark Calloway, or will they like really be Undertaker gimmick? I think he has to be an Undertaker gimmick. Okay. Hello. Yeah, it's just like super staticky. Yeah, can you hear me? Um, oh, do you hear what I said though? Okay. Can you hear me? No, but did you hear what I said earlier? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? All right, cool. Hello? I can hear you no, now. I didn't hear what you said. No, did you, did you hear what I said earlier? Okay. No, but basically what I said was like, I'm interested to see when Undertaker gets put in the Hall of Fame during his speech. Will he be Mark Calloway or will he be the Undertaker? Um, I think he has to be the Undertaker. Do you think... Uh... Do you think at that point he would have been Mark Calloway for such a long time? Um, like, if he goes back to the dead man gimmick, like, that'll be interesting. I don't know. Because uh, with COVID, the Hall of Fames are just not going to be um, the usual presentations that were. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. So it can be virtual. That can that can like now that make make sense for him to be the dead man. True, but is he going to be thinking if he gets inducted as, as the dead man? You know. <laughs> nah, yeah. See, that that wouldn't work though. That wouldn't work if he did that. Ah, it's, it's gonna yeah, be it's gonna be fun to see, man. I mean, I want I want to see how, how that plays out. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. Um, cause I, I, you know, I think he still has a few more matches on him. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's just a few though. <laughs> but ah, right, man, yeah, we can wrap it up here. Uh, appreciate you coming on. We got this, um, off more often or, you know, whenever we can do a, a wrestling topic, Matt, we can, we can, yeah, we can no watch problem. a match and then recap it uh, in the yeah, pod or pay-per-view. I'm open. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Fast. Big, big <laughs> memories. When, back when life was more simple. All right, you, man. No problem. Peace. All right, my guys. Stay up, man. Have a good night. All right. Special thanks to the homie Alan for hopping on this pod. I appreciate you, my guy. We definitely got to tap in more on this wrestling culture for this pod. Um, in the future, hopefully not too distant. Thank you to Anchor. And of course, thank you guys for listening. And if you haven't already, be sure to tap in and hit that subscribe button as this podcast is available just about damn near everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can find it there. Um, If you want to follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Vincent 13, Facebook fan page, Emmanuel Vincent. Um, so that's all the time we have for now. Another part in the books. Um, I will be dropping another part next week for sure. Um, recapping week 11 of the NFL season until then y'all stay blessed, stay safe, take care. <laughs>